Welcome, everybody, to the Self-Improvement Podcast. Today with me is Ian and a special guest, Mrs. Rokes, and your host, Dalton Cox. That's me. All right. Awesome. Um, we're very excited to have our guest here with us today. Um, she has worked um, at a high school, at our local high school here in Keene, New Hampshire, for 21 years now and she has a lot of wisdom and knowledge that she would like to share about the theme of education and uh, I guess what what you want to do to pursue your education with more passion and purpose um, as a student. So yeah, I would say that uh, the philosophy at our school is, and maybe it's more inbred with me, is that every day is a new day. So even if you struggle to get up um, feeling like you're um, hitting your goals and you know achieving them, um, even if you're having a, a tough time, there's always tomorrow. And, and then just developing some good self-care so that you can learn how to advocate for yourself, I think is really critical because I work in a busy house office, so I'm not in the classroom necessarily. My lens is different. I get the, to watch the maturation of kids going through their high school experience. So I get the freshmen you know, about 725 in our house office. And then we get to watch them blossom into their sophomore year. And they're starting to find their footing a little bit more. And by the time they're juniors, I don't know as though their, their destinations are set, but they're heading down a path that feels more comfortable to them. They're tapping their teachers who they feel comfortable with. And, um, and then by the time they hit their senior year, they have some idea of what they're going to do. Yeah. You mentioned something about um, a lot, actually, about clarity, having clarity as a student in school, because I know for me, for the longest time, I didn't have that until my junior year, where I had decided that I loved selling music online and I loved composing um, and connecting with people so that was a huge moment for me and it's it's starting to make sense you know hearing this from you where you're saying that students start to to get a footing um, is the word that you used on where they want to go yeah and I don't think it's the same for everybody I mean we use our school counselors to kind of set that path, but honestly, it depends on the person. It wasn't until I left high school before I realized what my capabilities were. I can honestly say that Keen High started that, but it was up to me. And I know that Dalton feels the same way to be able to draw from, um, from our resources that we're, you know, we work hard to put into place to be able to then cultivate those things. So even though, I, I mean, I wouldn't consider high schools a shell, it's a mainframe within which to work. So if we can get there and learn to advocate for ourselves, and like you said, Ian, to find your niche, which is really important to find your niche. For me, it was public speaking. You know, I grew up with an alcoholic father and he was wonderful. He just didn't come home at the end of the day. And he was also a product of his time. So I learned to rely on my very strong mother 
and um, two high achieving brothers to be able to help me build my core. So I always feel like it doesn't matter where you are, the minute you learn to begin to say, um, I need help, it's a strength to ask for help, not a weakness, then you know that you can do nearly anything you set your sights on. Yeah, I remember when my senior year in 2020, I didn't want to seek help and I pushed help away when I had many opportunities to grasp it from my family and from members, staff members at the school. And I almost didn't graduate. I was working all the time and didn't have any direction or purpose in my life. And then a few months into that, I would say four or five maybe, I started to realize that if I wasn't gonna reach out, then I may keep heading down a pretty dark path. And that's when I sent an email to my school counselor and asked him if I could come back to school. And you know, it's like what you said, Mrs. Rokes, that it's not a bad thing to ask for help. It's just sometimes you know, it's something you need to do in life. What would you say stops people from asking for help? Well, I think pride, Ian. I think that um, some people don't want the, the playing field to be leveled. They want to sort of feel an inner hierarchy of, of strength. And, you know, and that just is not something that's there automatically. You have to build that out of respect and um I think some of our most vulnerable students are the ones that I connect with because they're the ones that say, I just, I'm at an impasse. I don't know what to do, but there, there's a sort of like inherent loveliness of vulnerability that, you know, <clears throat> I always gravitate to because I remember being that person. You know, I remember being a child in grade school and I had this wonderful teacher who just listened to me and, um, I don't know if you've read books about, you know, the old geographical cure, you know, for me with my dad's alcoholism, I always remember being told by my father when he was there that, oh, don't worry, we're going to move south and everything will change. Well, that's what happens when a parent who is um, addicted, he finds solace in saying, I can remove you from this toxic situation. And um, that teacher always was my solace and said, you know, Yep, if you go south, that's fine. But if you stay in the north, that's fine too. You have to, you know, put your feet in a place that's comfortable. And so just having someone to listen to you is really important. You know, I would never call myself a school secretary because I have the privilege of um, working collaboratively in a house office situation. So, um, you know, I bring in um, just a plethora of life experience and I hook myself to it. So if I see someone who is struggling because of a, di a family dynamic, I wouldn't say necessarily that I say, oh, I'm aware that you've got this, you know, troubled dynamic, but I would definitely open the doors to be able to say, I'm here for you and um, whatever you need. And you know, you're not alone. So then they begin to open up and then they find that they have as big a voice as those kids who have that strong dynamic. Just, it's just bringing, it's bringing them forward. Mm -hmm. 
And something that comes to mind for me, for my own life and my own business is like, and it relates to having someone to talk to. Like when I have a prospect speaking with me, I'm asking them some like really good questions. It's getting them to think a lot of the time, like that alone is valuable for them because knowing their goals, clarifying what's stopping them and what they need to move forward is already like a service to them. Um, and this is something we can journal about like on our own, what, what we want and how life is going, but also having that second set of eyes, second set of ears is priceless. Because like you said, you have a lot of um, life experience when it comes to you know, dealing with certain dynamics, family dynamics, as it relates to school, but, but also personally. So I think I never knew this about you. <laughs> and I did go to Keen High School. Dawn yeah. and I are obviously around the same age. But it's so refreshing to hear that. Um, I think we have an awesome school and I'm very grateful for it. Mm -hmm. You know, for me too, Ian, I had two very high achieving brothers, one brother who went to an Ivy League school right out of, to, uh, out of Keene High in 1981. So, you know, we just, we were very poor growing up. And then I have another brother, my older brother, who was the managing editor of our local paper for 35 years. And my mom always said to me, I'm really sorry that you didn't teach Jane. And I, and I would say, well, hold on, hold on, mom, it's okay. I really needed to be married. And then out of that really healthy marriage was born my wedding business. Um, and so I've married over, uh, you know, 1200 couples and um, found my voice through um, my experience and broken those patterns that were not healthy in my family. So, you know, it's what we decide to do and not feeling like we need to hold ourselves to someone else's achievements. It's sometimes daunting for me to be in the company of two high achieving brothers, but it's okay. I mean, and I would never settle and say that, you know, um, settle for mediocrity. That's not what I'm saying, because I wouldn't, I always push myself to achieve some higher stuff. So I think, you know, like you said, Ian, and I know Dalton feels the same way surrounding yourself with people that feed your, your goals and dreams is just critical. And I think like you also said, when you're in your business, Ian, like I'm in my business, I really have to say to my couples, tell me your vision first. And it, then it just, you know, that I'm just a better listener. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and that goes right back to education it's I need to listen to my students too I never um, want to be the larger voice in every situation I can I can add in but I want to hear what their visions are too mm -hmm. yeah leave that to the teachers right <laughs> well here's the thing though Ian if you think about it I'm going to have those kids for all four years Students are in with their classes for a semester. If they're fortunate, they may have the same teacher twice, but not often. So again, like I said, my lens is very different. It's a springboard into each year for them. And um, boy, we say we just have some amazing teachers at Keene High School. I just am so fortunate. You know, I am wedded to the English department and um, just by virtue of proximity, they're with me. And um, 
in the social studies department, but our math department and our science department and our world language department. I mean, there's just not a weak link and our and our our guidance department, we're just very fortunate to be in the company of, uh, of good people who love our, our kids. And that's just what it's all about at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And like I said, Ian, for those kids who struggle, who may have a setback, you know, may have, um, something as simple as a as a plagiarism incident or something more complex uh, um, like um, a vaping incident where they're set back and have to be out of school for something that next day when they're able to return we always try to promote ways to kind of capture your newness we never try to have it be something that languishes for them, that lingers, because we want them to be able to learn from, I don't even want to call it a mistake, a setback. Um, And we all have them in our lives. It's whether, you know, we decide to stay there or, you know, use some grace to move on and just admit. And sometimes I'm short with a student, so I'm the first one to stay. I've called them in their classroom and said, can you come back? I'm really sorry I was short with you. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of value in an apology. And that's what I try to impart with my grandkids too. Please, please get yourself back to level footing. Mm-hmm. I think it's super powerful what you mentioned about setbacks and not having to make that your identity, not letting that, I you know, define you. Um, like I remember back in, this is also junior year. That was my hardest year. I experienced my most major setback in terms of like grades, cause I really picked the wrong social studies, um, class for me. It was recommended to me. Um, I just kind of went for it. And the problem there was not the subject. Like back then I would tell you, oh, this is the worst subject or, this teacher, this chapter, blah, blah, blah. But it was me telling myself that I was a certain kind of person that didn't do well in social studies. And that kind of manifested into me, like creating my own struggle in a sense. Is that something you see, you know? Sure. Yes, because I I think you captured it beautifully. In our lives, we're not always going to connect with either subject matter or people. So we have to to devise ways to stay above the fray. And that is, you know, I just watched my sophomore grandson struggle in algebra. So he did everything. And he came from the Marlboro School. So he had that beautiful small town mentality when he hit the high school and you know, he struggled because now we're using competencies and building blocks. And sometimes there's not enough clarity for a student who feels like he's advocating for himself. So he got stuck. Now he had to really find ways to, like you said, Ian, not have that subject define him. Now he's going on to IMP, which is a totally different type of math class. And he can close this chapter by knowing that he did some credit recovery, not to the point where it really was satisfying enough to him, but he's going to be able to look back and say, I don't really want that 
to be something I have to go through again. But if I have to, I'll stop sooner, you know, and seek the help of my school counselor. And, and like you, I mean, we just call that what it is. We call that um, a defining moment. And it's, it's really neither good or bad, but you know, well, for him, it's nothing he wants to replicate again. So he knows that. So he grew and um, yeah, we have a lot of kids. And I sometimes will say to those students, if they come in complaining about a teacher, first of all, I close the door and say, that's a conversation you have with administration because we really want you to be able to voice your opinion. But that teacher is going to want to know exactly how you're feeling too. So we're going to do that privately and encourage that student to be able to have a voice. And know that sometimes personalities don't always mesh. I know when I was in college, I watched some of the younger kids in my uh, women's studies class really struggled with my, you know, teacher because she was my age and I was 40 in the classroom, but they also had to respect her because she was definitely, um, you know, she was putting forth some experience. And so they had to learn how to deal with her in a really respectful way. And that wasn't easy for them. So I think, yeah, we take those situations and we grow from them and decide we don't want to repeat performance, but how do we do that? You know, what are our building blocks? Know quickly that we don't want it to be repeated. Know quickly that we need to be respectful. Know quickly that we need to close those doors and you know advocate ourselves in a way that doesn't throw a teacher under the bus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and just do it in a respectful way with lots of, like you said earlier, some clarity. And when students come to you and start bashing on their teachers, the way I take that is they're casting blame for their problems. And from a leadership perspective, that isn't a great solution to the problem. And instead, what I found to be more beneficial is taking ownership of that problem, looking inward towards, okay, so what is it that I've done to make it so that this relationship that I have with this teacher isn't so great and has caused him or her to behave in the way that they've behaved. So I think it's great that you don't allow them to bash on that teacher. And if they do have any remarks to take it up with the teacher themselves. Yeah, I think I can be their segue into a larger conversation and just kind of stop it at the door because we, we need to validate those opinions and feelings too. We don't want to, um, you know, we don't want to have them feel like they don't have a voice because that stops the conversation at the door. Mm. You know, we can definitely, you know, pull from our own experience, but know that there's a time and a place to sort of treat those things. And you're right. Sometimes when a student is chronically late, all I want or all I'm seeking when I'm having that conversation with them is, you know, a little bit of ownership for them. What could you do differently? Can you set your alarm a little earlier? Know that our attendance policy is, is one that's geared toward, you know, finding your work situation better when you're older. You can't just waltz into a job and, and be chronically late. So if you own it now, like you said, Dalton, own it quick and know that, you know, we'll help you find that solution. But there will be consequences too, because, you know, we try to be, um, we try, you know, to do the same thing for all students. But, but like we talked about earlier, Ian, you know, those those dynamics at home are different. So that doesn't always lend itself to ease. What can we do to help you be more successful here? 
um, and again, giving them some ownership over that, um, that solution makes them feel good about themselves, I think. So it's tricky, that's for sure. What's the number one question students can ask themselves when they're in high school? Besides, what do I want to do? <laughs> um, I would say, how do I want to fit in to the day in and day out movement of my high school experience? How do I find the balance of um, my class load and um, my peer group and my extracurricular activities um, in some small or large fashion. I think it's balancing. What, what's the balance? Because honestly, the other thing during those two COVID years, we're so struggling with kids who decided they were going to work through their school day because they could. And then it was like instant gratification, show me the money. We get that, you know, but you're going to work your whole lives. So please treat your high school experience as one that is mapped out now from 14 to uh, 18 or from 13 to 17, or maybe even some 15 year olds coming into 19. That period of time is designed for you to not have to work to the point where you can't enjoy your high school experience. So, I mean, I know that kids only wanna be there as long as they need to be there sometimes I struggle with, you know, the kids leaving their school day before it's time, the mass exodus out of the building without sort of finishing gracefully. It's like, be there, be present, know that your high school experience is fleeting. I think you can both speak to that. I can speak to that. If I had my druthers, I wished I did it, you know, differently, but I, I also had some things pulling from my periphery. Because I did go to work right after school, I went right to work um, for an attorney at 18. Um, wow! And then I, yeah, then I got married, and then um, and then I went back to work for an attorney, and then I went to work at school, and then I started my wedding business. But I I know that everything I learned at Keene High School, uh, you know, I was one of the the young women that was involved in the secretarial program at the Cheshire Career Center through a wonderful teacher. Her name was Lexi Curry. And um, she had me come in and speak to those graduating classes. And I just said to them, please be here and be present because once you hit the real world, you know, there are going to be extraordinary things that are going to be pulling you to, um, to adulthood. So please be, be young, but be mature. I mean, you know, um, it's just a very short period of time before you're out the door. Yeah. Dawn, did you want to say something? I thought I saw you like thinking or. <laughs> <laughs> Dawn's a thinker. Yeah, he thinks a lot. I do too. Sometimes. Yes, you do, Ian. I can tell instantly. It's awesome. I was talking about that with my coach, actually. He, uh, he told me I think too much, like I overthink. Um, but we worked through that. And that's yeah. another thing. Like when, when I think of uh, my coaching, I, it, it just, like there were so many extracurriculars um, I could have done, but I don't like to like feel like I missed out. I didn't, I don't feel like I missed out, but I like to talk about it so that others can like extract the lessons from it. But 
like one of the extracurriculars I did, I think it was like a short couple week thing um, that I would do during advisory. And it was like a mindfulness session. Um, I'm not sure if you remember something like that, but there was a instructor that came in and we would do certain practices, including meditation to kind of like calm ourselves down, learn mindfulness, all these things. Um, was so that Jen Whitehead, Ian? Yeah. She's fabulous. Yeah. I think mindfulness is so important. I think it's the way of the world anymore. I think when you're mindful of time and space and energy, you're much more respectful of people's contributions to your lives. Um, but it's taken me, I'm 60. It's taken me until I was at least 45 to become a better listener and um, not feel like I needed to hold myself up to anybody to compare myself to anybody because honestly we are who we are because we've been where we've been and um, it's different for everybody and I think that if we just stop and listen like you said in those sessions it was two weeks for you but obviously it left an indelible mark um, for sure yeah it's hard to you know I think about my grandson Trey and when he was in that small town of Marlboro he was flitting between four or five different things like um, basketball and he had a great coach and then then he couldn't really hone that entirely like he wanted to then on to baseball then on to football now at Keen High Ian and Dalton he's a football player because honestly that's what Trey could do to make the most of it so I think he had to channel his energy along with like traveling a parallel path with his studies so he didn't lose sight of that even with the algebra debacle you know um he had to kind of and that's what we do in high school I don't know if both of you felt the same way if if we can sort of hone what we know we do well because I did a few things too but I I always felt like I was a master you know not a master of anything a jack of all trades I didn't do a lot of things well but I did a lot of things to the point where they made me happy a little bit of student government, a little bit of freshman basketball, a little bit of um, student council. But, you know, because my dynamic at home was tough, I really wasn't encouraged to do one thing and do it well. I was sort of, we was, you know, what we could do based on what we had. Yeah. And that was 40 years ago. So that's not the same for you guys. You know, when you had your high school experience, so I think it's dynamic is really important to what you've got at home. Mm -hmm. I take it for granted sometimes because when you go to school and you kind of meet different people, um, everyone has a different situation and it has made me, it has taught me to be grateful for what I had and then look forward to things that I could have by working on myself or by studying certain things um, like for example there was a accounting class in high school that I considered but I didn't take uh, but then right after high school I signed up for a course on accounting because then I needed it for right. my business and all that well so, so maybe it was that mindfulness exactly yeah yeah when I was in college at Keene State I didn't finish but I took you know a lot of great courses. There was a great teacher at the high school. His name was Tony Dubois. And I never got to take any of his English classes, but I had a chance to take a New England lit class of his at Keene State College. 
And even though I was 40, I said to myself, I'm going to make sure I take a Tony Dubois class because I wanted that experience that my my uh, peer group had and it didn't matter. And I did well because I was older and, um, you know, I studied hard and but, you know, I look back now and think it's never too late. You know, I'd like to go back and finish my degree. My mother now has dementia and she's living in a nursing home. But my mother always encouraged me, even with my wedding business, to sort of not live vicariously through other people, but to, you know, I think, I think she felt more defeated that I was the only one of her children who didn't have a college degree hanging on the wall. But I said, mom, you know, if you take my life experience and standing in front of 1200 couples and watching them walk into their married lives, that's a pseudo college degree of sorts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so one thing, that, one thing that we talk about in podcasts actually just recently is working for education over working for money. A lot of people, the status quo typically is, you know, you go to high school and you go to college and then you get a job according to your degree. And here at the self-improvement mastermind or uh, podcast, we don't believe that going to college is necessary for you to achieve your most ideal future. Well, I think it helps. I don't think we said that, it shouldn't be an option. I think it's an option. It's a very valid one. I Absolutely. think it's not the only one. I think sometimes people over glorify it, but for its own sake, I think it's great if you're not needing to borrow a crazy sum of money yeah. and you're guaranteed to make that investment back. That's how I look at it. But I'd love to hear your perspective. Well, I think it's so. I think what you said, I think it's okay to get there late, Ian. So you get to accounting after, you know, um, after Mrs. Merrill's accounting, you know, piece that you read. And even if it didn't, it did resonate for you on some level because it planted that seed. I just don't think we're ever too old. Like I'm, I'm a a voracious reader. All I do is read. All it does is, is build my vocabulary and allow me to, um, because words are malleable, I can bend them and turn them in ways I need to in a wedding ceremony. And I, you know, I have favorite authors. I love Elizabeth Gilbert. You know, I love to infuse her, her quotes, my wedding ceremonies. One that I've been using is, um, Here's a great quote by her, you know, after we came back uh, and we're not totally back after COVID because we have to be careful, but she said ceremony is essential to humans. It separates the momentous from the ordinary. And so I use that quote a lot in my ceremonies and say that, you know, inching back to normalcy, you know, um, in that, in this time of uncertainty, one thing is for certain, and that is that love will prevail. And that is, and, but also relationships will prevail. And I do think I wished I had finished in college. Um, I've had to make my own college, my own degree. And, um, but like you don't, I I think, you know, we can go back when it, when we're, we're at that point where we know we're going to get the most bang for our buck. Mm -hmm. And so we don't draw down our resources. And you're right, because I, I, my son is still paying for his college debt. And, you know, my daughter went to a tech school and she's still paying for it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to really decide to go at a time or you're going to get the most use out of it. And so sometimes we don't do that. Yeah. And I'm not saying college is a bad choice or it's something people shouldn't take. It's just not the only path. Hmm. I agree with you. Sometimes we need other things on our way, on our journey to that. But I don't think we should ever be dissuaded 
about sitting in a community ed class and getting your plumbing license because that's just a vocation you can keep in your back pocket. Like our younger daughter got her cosmetologist license. And honestly, the interesting thing is she makes more working in a restaurant as a server, but she can always tap it. And that's what I tell her kids is, you know, mommy got this because it's really important that, you know, she always has it to fall back on. So fall back on everything you know, in your lives, fall back and use it and, um, and go get it, um, whatever it is. You know, I talked to some of our teachers at the high school and she, one of our teachers who was an English teacher said her kids are coming out of their high school experience in engineering and nursing with a hundred and about a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. And that just is heartbreaking to me, but they also chose vocations. Like she said, where if they go to work, they can pay that debt just um, by virtue of what they chose for career field. So I think, again, you go into it making sure that you're going to be able to pay back your debt without drawing down your emotional resources too. So, and, you know, I have a niece who's a nurse and she makes wonderful money because she can work three 12 hour shifts and have three young children under the age of six. And, you know, it's just, you just really have to think about how you're going to use what you have in your cachet for just for different things. So, but sometimes it takes a lifetime to figure out what those things are. So, yeah. Anyway, I, I digress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's a very interesting topic and that'll be way later, I think a couple of seasons away, which is passion. But I think a really, you know, good place to start, at least it worked for me. A great place to start is like knowing who you want to serve. And then based on what they want, then you go study that thing. Like who, the group of people you're passionate about, the group of people that you think have the most impact or have had the most impact on you specifically. So like, I'll give you an example. Um, there's a new local barber here in Keene. Um, I love them. They do an amazing job. And I asked the lady there that was cutting my hair and I asked her, why did you want to get into this? And she was like, she had a story about how she was like influenced and inspired by another barber and how she wanted to step into that role. So I, I think it always starts with like a who. Um, oh, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite um, ministers at our local church is Woody Shook. And I traveled extensively. He was our associate minister at the United Church of Christ when I was a young mother. And we did all this beautiful mission work in Richmond, Virginia. And we went to Puerto Rico and we rebuilt homes and we went to Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. And I was able to travel with my children. And I listened to Wood's passion about serving people and that's actually why I went into my wedding business was was um, I listened to him and I loved every message he ever ever gave to our youth and then sort of out of that was born this love of marriage too because I married a great guy who just gives me a big voice and so I, I don't think that um, you can purport, purport to like the institution unless you've lived it it's not cliche that's why I'll sometimes say to my couples it's okay to say it was love at first sight if you lived it. And like the barber, I mean, she obviously, or like your accounting or like Dalton's experience of going, you know, finishing gracefully at the high school and then going on to do what he's doing now and seeing parts of the world. Um, 
gotta live it, you know, you really, it's just different for everybody. But I, I would say that the one thing I would say to high school students in education is um, it's always gonna be a path forward. Don't, don't get your feet stuck in the mud um, because um, just don't stop there. It's gotta be a lifelong learning um, event for you. And um, as I uh, officiate for two couples this afternoon, I hope that's the message that they get is, you know, you, you're here, but keep finding milestones that are gonna make you feel like everything you celebrate as a couple is important, you know, without losing your individuality, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. Because that's important. So I would say, you know, that's what I tell high school kids, go, go, go get it, go forward, only forward. Even if it means making a meal at the end of the night, just don't keep making the same meals, just challenge yourself and keep reading your books and keeping, you know, having those passionate conversations with everybody in your life. Um, and that's why I stay, you just, you said something that was really important about the barber piece. Um, that's why I do both my Keen High School experience concurrent with my wedding business because I need both. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I go to school every day and I foster relationships with students and with parents and with teachers, but then I have this, and I don't call it a side hustle anymore. That was in the first year. I call it this honorable profession. So mm -hmm. travel with, you know, more paths than one and draw from all of them. It's like your music business or your leadership business, Don't you can do it all. You somehow, you, you know, you have to call back a little, so you're not divorced in my instance, <laughs> like I have to, like I have, my husband loves live music. And so, you know, for our 39th wedding anniversary, we're going to watch a favorite band of his, the Mavericks. And he was just jubilant when he just, mm -hmm. you know, when he booked that, that show. So I have to make sure that I don't suck him into my life to the point where he loses what's important to him. It's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah, uh, we covered a lot of great things here. Uh, we talked about, I think one, one really major thing that people should take away from this, um, if you agree, is asking for help um, and being okay with, with listening um, because then that's going to give you clarity. And I think that's what everyone needs uh, as students, as students, you know, clarity, 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 and just going for it. Yeah, yeah I something... think you're, I think you're right. Don't go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Something I pulled from this is figuring out what sacrifices you were, you're willing to make for what you want in life. So for maybe if you want to become a doctor, maybe it's that sacrifice of that debt from college. You know, when you're marrying someone, it's that sacrifice of, doing something that your spouse enjoys, even though you may not enjoy it as much. So being able to, to sacrifice, find that sacrifice for uh, your ideal future and your happiness. Oh, I totally agree. I, you know, it's funny. Here's a real quick story and I promise then I'll be done. But I've been reading this, um, this Newbery book to my grandkids and it's a little over their heads. It's got these like 
three or four different plots going on. It's called the underneath. And sometimes I have to whine to them and say, please, if I could just read a few pages forward, then, then I can go forward in the book. And they might complain a little, but once we get into it, they're just like, this is awesome. This is wonderful. And I'll say to them, oh, I really appreciate your sacrifice. I know it wasn't your first choice, but you allowed Grammy to go forward in the book and I look forward to the next chapter. So you can never start too early, Dalton, like you said, to realize the import of sacrifice. And yes, I would say that asking for help is the biggest thing you can do to start your day anew. If you're not, it's not even about struggle. It's just, it's just asking for what you need to kind of get to the next you know, part of your forward mission. So you guys are awesome guys. I'm so glad to know you. And it's such a privilege to be part of your, your podcast. And um, I just, it's humbling. Yeah. It's really a very cool thing for me. Yeah, it was great having you with us today. Yeah. We're just as honored. Uh, covered a lot of good stuff. Thank you for being here and thank you guys for listening. More episodes on the way and we'll talk to you soon.